helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. I've been studying the Constitution for several years and the Bible for decades before that. As you might imagine, I've learned a lot about how to effectively study something. Now, one of the most important of the skills I've learned is to spot gossip being used as evidence to prove an argument. Now, Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines gossip as to run about and tattle, to tell idle tales. And let me tell you, there are plenty of idle tales being told about the Constitution of the United States. Now, the best way I've found out to weed out all that gossip actually comes from the Bible. Now, that really shouldn't be a surprise since I've been studying the Bible for decades before I started studying the Constitution. But if you go to Acts chapter 17, you look at verses 10 and 11, you'll find, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. So I recommend we take some time, and we start today, listening to what is being said. Then let's go back to the Constitution and see if what we're being told is true. Well, hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. And since the term study is in our name, I thought it'd be good to take some time today and talk about studying, how we study, how we we try to weed out truth from fiction, and then use that to look at some recent news events to kind of practice this trade. So I hope you'll stick around and join me in this. Now, I used the word gossip, and I used it for a reason, especially understanding the, the 19th century definition of the word. See, in the 20th century, we've, we've kind of modified it a little bit. It's more about people um, sharing intimate details, sharing secrets. And that, that's a perfectly valid definition for, for gossip. I'm not challenging that. But looking at the old day, the idea of telling tales, well, it, it, it brings to light, um, or at least to me, it brings an imagery that I think defines what has become a lot of the, the study of the Constitution lately. Let me explain. As you can imagine, I have plenty of people coming to me uh, either questioning what something I've said or uh, uh, proposing something to be true, and frequently, in fact, maybe the majority of the time, all they're doing is telling a tale. Right? It can be just about anything. Uh, the, 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 the status of the United States, the, the use of fringe on the American flag, uh, what defines a, um, a, a native-born citizen? Uh, what are the requirements to hold certain offices? Uh, even, even think of it, the list of things that the federal government are allowed to do and, and what the, the Constitution is. I even had somebody claim that the color of ink used meant something about the document. You know, if you used black ink, it meant one thing. If you used red ink, it meant something else. Now, generally, when I'm teaching people about studying, I talk about opinions. It's an opinion until you f- provide proof. The idea that um, you have your own opinion, and you obviously believe it's true or it wouldn't be your opinion. But until there's proof, it's still nothing but an opinion. 
So where does the gossip come from? Well, the gossip comes from the number of times people make bold assertions and never provide any evidence, any proof that what they say is true. You're simply supposed to accept it because they say so. And sadly, that's the extent of the argument I would say pretty much half of the people provide. They, they say, well, this is true. And I say, well, all right, where's your proof? Well, it is. I actually had one guy tell me, it's true because it's true. Kind of self, you know, self-referencing logic, circular logic. But that is the state of a lot of the evidence that I've been provided over the years. Now, on rare occasions, someone will provide evidence in their initial argument. More often than not, though, it's when I ask for it. When someone makes an assertion, I say, okay, where's your proof? And they will point me to evidence. Now, I want to make something very clear. While all proof is evidence, not all evidence is proof. All right, let me say that again. All proof is evidence that something is true. But not all evidence necessarily proves the point the person is trying to make which to me is simply another form of gossip. In, in other words, when someone, when someone makes an argument, and I'll use the uh, uh, U.S. as a privately owned corporation, because I, I recently talked about that, and I've gotten a lot of, of uh, comments about that. And they'll say, well, they will point me to some document or some, some video. Well, that's nothing but tailbearing. You tell me that, well, so-and-so said this was true, therefore it's true. That's gossip. And that makes up a large percentage of the arguments I get once we get past the initial, okay, where's your evidence? Where's your proof? They just simply say, well, well, so-and-so said it. The internet, by the way, is full of this type of gossip. You see it, everything from, uh, you know, claims that... Uh, uh, well, claims from one of the Brunson brothers that said that the Supreme Court had the ability to remove members of Congress. They had the constitutional authority to do so. Now, it's interesting is they provided the, the evidence they provided didn't say what they said it said. I know that's kind of a, a weird way of saying it, but it said something, but what it said wasn't what they were claiming. This, by the way, is, is why I keep referring to being a Berean. Because right? remember, from the book of Acts, the, you know, Paul and Silas were sent to Berea, and the Bereans were more fair-minded. And some translations are actually left, uh, said to be more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they listened to what other people said. Then they went back to their standard, the documents, every day to see if what they were told is true. So when someone comes to me and says, well, uh, here's my proof, go to this document or go to um, you know, this video, and there's proof that what I'm saying is true. Vast majority of the times, all they're doing is repeating, it's hearsay. They are repeating gossip they heard from somebody else. And I can't tell you how many times I will, I will show them, but this document says something different. But that's what so-and-so said. And that's become kind of a fair standard of uh, constitutional logic in America today. We can do this because, well, so-and-so said, the Supreme Court said, a lawyer said, uh, a politician said, a media pundit said. Now, in my experience, the best, possibly even the only way 
to, to divide gossip from fact is to actually go back to the original document. So let me give you an example. I talked about U.S. being a corporation, a privately held corporation. Now, here's the interesting part. There, there is a sense, in the broadest sense of the term corporation, which is just uh, an assembly, an organization that is a legal entity, you could consider the United States a corporation. You consider each of the states a corporation because it's an organization that is a legal entity, meaning it can sue or be sued and so on and so forth. That's not the way most people refer to it. Now, again, I've had dozens of people at this point say that the United States is a corporation. The, 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 the United States government was incorporated back in 1871, and their proof is they point to um, what some people refer to as the, as the Restructuring Act of 1871 or the Incorporation Act of 1871, the proper title of the document they're referring to is the District of Columbia uh, Organic Act of 1871, which did create a corporation for the District of Columbia. That's it. Didn't create one for the United States. It said, hey, we've got this District of Columbia that was given up well, by Virginia. Yes, Maryland gave some, but then they took it back and said, here you go. Um, we're going to we, we want a government for this district. So we need to create a legal entity for that government. And we, we created a, a municipal corporation, a public corporation for the District of Columbia. So the people who keep repeating that that uh, um, the United States is incorporated because of the Act of 1871, they're repeating gossip. Now, some of those people, when I point that out, and I usually try to point them to the actual language of the of the Act, the document of the Act, uh, don't take my word for it, go back to the document and see if what I'm saying is true. Some relatively small percentage go, huh, I didn't know that. And they back up and try and rethink their position. Others say, well, okay, let me see if there's another way, if I can find another way to prove my point. Okay. I actually encourage that. Maybe you're not wrong. Maybe the, the evidence you had wasn't good, but maybe you're not wrong. Go ahead and investigate it. But I have to tell you, a large percentage, maybe three quarters or more of the people who, who challenge me on this question, when I show them the facts, simply ignore it. No, 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 you're not reading it right. Uh, no, 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 it did do this. Or as I said before, well, it's true because it's true, therefore that's what this must mean. That's gossip. Now, one of the things that we try to do here at the Constitution Study is help people learn how to study. And I'm actually working on something now um, I, I, I'm, I'm tentatively calling it a mini boot camp that's designed to not only help people start their studies, give a good foundation for their studies, but give them the tools to um, have a foundation to build their study upon. Certain basic truths that we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I think this is so important. So hopefully you'll, you'll keep listening. I'll be talking more about that as it gets closer to being released. But I think it's important, not simply that, that I regurgitate information, that I point out to you what I've read, what I think, what I find in facts and data. It's one of the reasons why I try to distinguish between my opinion and the data that I found. But it's to help you do it for yourself. What's the old saying? Cat, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. 
That's kind of that's what I want to do. I, I want to teach people across the country to fish for the truth, to study the Constitution and understand what it means, not simply because I said so, because I want to help you investigate it and find it out for yourself, because that is the stronger answer. Because while some people try to deal with gossip by shutting it down, by, by censoring it, the best answer to gossip is to have a, a is to prove it's wrong. Well, it doesn't matter if that, that gossip is about your family, about your church, about your work, about any organization. Take the gossip, find out if it's true, go to the original sources and find out if it's true, then you can either spread real information or you can do what you can to stop gossip in its tracks. I mean, even in my own life, gossip has called a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and a lot of damage in multiple families. It's one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about not spreading gossip. And it's why I'm so adamant about people. If you have an opinion, that's fine. If you want me to agree with your opinion, you have to provide me proof. Hence the saying that people are entitled to their own opinions, but not their own facts. Let me give you another example. This, this is one I've heard quite frequently. In fact, I was being interviewed uh, the last time uh, on another America Out Loud radio program, Bold and Out Loud, and uh, the assertion was made that the original Constitution said that black men were three-fifths of a person. Now, that's an opinion, and it's one that's widely held throughout this country. It happens to be false. It, 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 it's, a, it's a myth that was been brought up to promote an agenda. So in response, I said, well, let's look at the actual language. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, which says, Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within the Union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding the whole number of free persons, including those bound with service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. Do you see the word black in there? No. It simply says that when it comes to representation in the House and direct taxes, if you're a free person, you get counted. If you're an Indian not taxed, you don't get counted. And of everybody else, well, that's three-fifths of all of the persons. Now, if you recognize that there were free black people in the United States, they would not count as three-fifths because it's not based on their color. It's based on whether or not they are free, they could, whether or not they were, could vote, or whether or not they could serve in office. But this person was adamant that, no, it said that, that blacks are three-fifths of a person. See, there's gossip being spread about about the state of, of, uh, of black men and women in the colonies, in the original country, the original states, that is wrong. But I also recognize I, I, can, I can bring a horse to water. I can't make him drink. I can't force that person to understand what the, the proof that I've just provided. But what I can do is hope that other people will see what this person said and what I said, see that one of them is basically just gossip, just, just because he said so. The other is based in the actual language of the Constitution. Now, I've got some other examples, some more modern examples of uh, uh, this, this constitutional gossip and the impact it's having on our country. But before I do that, I do have to take a break. 
Now, as I've mentioned before, you can find out more about what I do at the website, constitutionstudy.com. You can ask your own question. If you have something you want me to, to answer, is this gossip or not? You can ask a question right there. You can sign up for one of my mailing lists. It's all there at constitutionstudy.com. Now, if you're like my, my wife, she's always had a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep. We've tried lots of different things. Well, now she uses the only sleep supplement designed to support all four stages of sleep. That is Healthy Cells REM Sleep. It helps her fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deeply so she can wake refreshed. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order of REM sleep or anything from Healthy Cell by using the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So do me a favor. Go to HealthyCell.com, put your card together. When you check out, use that code out loud. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you'll get 25% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Have you had COVID-19 recently or have suffered a vaccine injury syndrome? You know, all of these conditions are metabolic, catabolic strains on the body. The body has increased needs for essential micronutrients and minerals. And the GI tract may not be functioning completely normally in terms of absorption. The solution, Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell has an entire product line using microjo technologies. So these are in liquid gel packs that you simply uh, rip open and a quick squirt and you've got everything you need in terms of nutrients. The product lines are the Immune Super Boost, the uh, Focus in Memory, and my favorite, the REM Sleep Supplement for an ideal night's sleep. Try them out. Go to HealthyCell.com and enter in out loud for a discount on your first purchase. Oh, or go on our platform, America Out Loud Talk Radio, and click on the banner bar, Healthy Cell, to get your discount on your first boxes of uh, Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. If you join the Constitution Study, today we're talking about gossip about the Constitution. 
I spent the first segment talking uh, about my study practices, how I've come to the conclusions, and, and how I deal with what people bring to me as gossip. They don't call it gossip, right? They they claim it's, it's proof, it's fact, but more often than not, it's really just gossip. So-and-so said it, so I'm repeating it. Now, one of the... the uh, Cases of gossip, one of the examples of gossip that has been floating around the last few weeks around the uh, the internet has to deal with this World Health Organization International Pandemic Treaty. Now, I've seen several different articles talking about several different aspects, but they all come down to this one piece of gossip. They refer to the treaty as a legally binding instrument. It is not legally binding on the United States unless and until it is not just signed by the president, but it is ratified by the Senate. We keep going back I say original sources. Where's your proof, Paul? How do I know that what you're saying is not gossip? Well, it's real easy. Go to Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution. And referring to the president, it says, he shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties. See, the president cannot make a treaty without both the advice and consent of the Senate. But Paul, if he signs the treaty, you know, that's that's the supreme law. The supremacy clause says that's the supreme law of the land. Uh, not so, Kimosabe. See, Article 6, Clause 2, which is the supremacy clause, says this constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. See, if it's a treaty not made under the authority of the United States, it's not the supreme law of the land. And since that treaty is only valid if it is done with the advice and consent of the Senate, that treaty is void within the United States. Oh, don't believe me on that one? Well, do you believe the Supreme Court? See, in Norton v. Shelby, they wrote, An unconstitutional act is not law. It confers no rights. It imposes no duties. It affords no protection. It creates no office. It is in legal contemplations and as inoperative as though it were never passed. That treaty is an unconstitutional act. Unless for a couple of reasons, first of all, unless and until it is it is ratified by the Senate, in other words, they give both their advice and consent, it's not a valid treaty. But remember, the the, the supremacy clause says treaties made under the authority of the United States. Well, guess what? Congress is specifically prohibited from picking any laws that would infringe on the right of freedom of speech or freedom of the press. Therefore, they're prohibited from ratifying a treaty that would do what the Constitution doesn't allow them to do. Oh, by the way, there's one other little thing. See, since the WHO is worried about public health, look to the Constitution, public health is not a power delegated to the United States. Therefore, it is not under the authority of the United States to make a treaty on public health. Therefore, it also would not be the supreme law of the land, even if the Senate ratified it. And if we go back to the Miranda case, Miranda v. Arizona, we read, where rights secured by the Constitution are involved, there can be no rulemaking or legislation 
which would abrogate them. See, we have rights secured by the Constitution. This would this treaty would abrogate them. They can't. They're prohibited. Now, do the vast majority of the American people believe the gossip that just because the, the president claims to sign a treaty, voila, it's legally binding? A lot of them do. And a lot of the media is promoting this as well. While we're at it, let's uh, let's keep up with this public health uh, um, genre we're heading for. Found another article. It's out of the Epic Times. It says the FDA authorizes first at-home tests to detect both COVID-19 and flu. Uh, you do realize that the FDA does not have the legal authority to authorize or to deny anything. But Paul, they're the FDA. They don't legally exist. Regulating food or drugs is not a power delegated to the United States. But Paul, it's the General Welfare Clause. Okay, General Welfare Clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. The, con- the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Now, first of all, recognize that the United States is capitalized. Capital U, capital S. That means it's a proper noun. It's referring to the exact same uh, uh, United States that later is in the 10th in the Amendment that they're talking about. It says, listen, if we didn't tell you you could do it, you can't do it. So Congress has the power to lay and collect taxes. Doesn't say anything about regulation, does it? Does it? So you're talking about the general welfare of the United States, not the several states, not the individuals, not the people of this entity called the United States. Now, there is one area where this might work, right? Because Clause 3 says Congress has the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. So this Congress can regulate commerce between the states. So if food or drugs are sold interstate, they can regulate the commerce. But that's not what the FDA is doing, isn't it? We're being told that the FDA is authorizing. They are approving. They're going to let you use a test, a new test. They have no legal authority to do so. They have no legal authority to deny that. See, because the law that created the FDA was done so not pursuant to the Constitution, it's void. Don't believe me. Believe the, you know, the Supreme Court again in Ex Parte v. Siebold. An unconstitutional law is void and is no law at all. An offense by it is not a crime. A conviction under it is not merely erroneous, but is illegal and void and cannot be used as a legal cause of imprisonment. You want to go promote this uh, uh, this test without FDA approval? The law, they have no legal authority to do so. Now, part of the problem is we've gotten so used to the gossip. Now, what do I mean by that? See, the, the Constitution, again, in the Supremacy Clause, is quite clear. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. It's quite clear that only laws made pursuant to the Constitution, laws in the U.S. made pursuant to the Constitution, are also considered supreme. And only treaties that are made under the authority of the United States are also considered supreme. But we have this myth, this gossip. I hear it all the time. The Supreme Court, though, decides what is and isn't constitutional. Let's go back to the Supremacy Clause. Again, Article 6, Clause 2. 
This Constitution, laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. Do you hear courts in there anyway? There are no courts. An opinion of the court is never, repeat that, an opinion of the court is never the supreme law of the land. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Because if you read the rest of that clause, it says, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the constitutional laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. Meaning, the judges don't get to tell us what the Constitution says. They're bound to it. They are bound to the supreme law of the land. They're the servants of it. They don't get to master it. They don't get to tell you it. But, but, but Paul, Marbury versus Madison, that's the infamous case where suddenly um, the, the Supreme Court gave itself the power of judicial review and to tell us what the Constitution does and does not say. Is that really what it says? Or is that just more gossip? Again, gossip being generated by a, from a very specific source that I want to get to in a minute. But I want you to read, I want to read for you uh, part of that Marbury versus Madison opinion. It does say, it is emphatically the province and duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. Okay, Paul, there it is. It says, they get to say what the law is. Yeah, read the rest of the, uh, of the paragraph. Those who apply the rule to particular cases must, of necessity, expound and interpret that rule. If two laws conflict each other with each other, the courts must decide on which operation on the operation of each. So, if a law be in opposition to the Constitution, if both the law and the Constitution apply to a particular case, so that the court must decide either that case conformably to the law disregarding the Constitution or conformably to the Constitution disregarding the law, the court must determine which of these conflicting rules governs the case. This is of the very essence of judicial duty. If, then, the courts are to regard the Constitution and the Constitution is superior to any ordinary act of the legislature, the Constitution and not such ordinary act must govern the case to which they both apply. It's a very long and legal, legal way of saying, listen, we don't get to tell you what the Constitution says. When we have two cases in conflict, we have, to, we have to interpret the law. We have to read the law. We have to interpret the law. It's our duty to understand the law so we can apply it. And when a law is in conflict with the Constitution, the Constitution must win. In fact, later on, Chief Justice Marshall, who wrote this opinion, said, Thus, a particular phraseology of the Constitution of the United States confirms and strengthens the principle supposed to be essential to all written constitutions, that a law repugnant to the Constitution is void, and that courts, as well as other departments, are bound by that instrument. So where did this myth of the current understanding of judicial review come from? Simple. Lawyers. So you have to understand, uh, like any other human being, law yes, and lawyers are human beings, lawyers, well, they're human, and they're susceptible to susceptible to all human foibles, including wanting to be in charge. See, once we started seeing uh, lawyers who became judges saying, well, no, I know the Constitution, but I, it, they really meant this. Well, who's going to challenge them? So understand, as of this day and age, the Constitution is not taught in law school. Do you know what they're taught? They're taught constitutional law. What is constitutional? It's the opinion of judges. And I've given you several examples, right? I've quoted Supreme Court opinions. 
But we keep referring to them as the rule of law, the law of the land. They are no such thing. Again, from Norton v. Shelby County, an unconstitutional act is not law. Since the Supreme Court has no authority to overrule, overturn federal legislation, they can, they can opine in their case. They don't have the authority to say, this is not legal anywhere. Think of all the judicial opinions that have been erroneously turned into law by gossip, by nothing more than gossip, by the, the self-aggrandizing of judges in the legal system and that information, that, that predatory act being reinforced generation by generation into the minds of lawyers. The Constitution doesn't matter. What the court says about the Constitution doesn't matter is an unconstitutional act, and it is not law. But we live with the gossip. Because most people, at least most people I'm aware of, either are not capable or are not willing to separate gossip from truth. Amazing things happen when we start placing the truth, the facts, the proof above the gossip. While we're picking on the FDA, guess what? People are all upset because uh, uh, the uh, major food companies are trying to get the FDA to continue to refer to these sugary cereals that get sold as healthy breakfasts. And in fact, the manufacturers of things like Fruity Pebbles, Lucky Charms, Fruit Loops, they're threatening to sue so they continue to refer to these products as healthy, even though they're basically sugary processed cereals. Now, um, why are they doing this? Well, the FDA are proposing some new guidelines on what defines a the label healthy on packages. Now, here's an interesting question. If the cereal is sold in interstate commerce, is there an advertising requirement that the federal government could make as part of the interstate commerce? In other words, the FDA doesn't have the legal authority to say whether or not you can sell it inside your state. The question is, if these products are sold interstate, can the FDA set rules for labeling and advertising to make them, to, 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 I don't want to say fair, informational? There's a slight argument for that. I don't believe it's the FDA's responsibility. I believe it's the Department of Commerce's responsibility. But there, there's at least an argument that said all we're doing is setting guidelines for products that are so that, that the the commerce, the advertising of these products must meet some agreed upon standard. But of course, the uh, they don't want that. Now, what's interesting is they could make an argument that since the FDA does not legally exist, we don't have to follow their guidelines. That would drive them nuts because now you would have 50 states, each with their own set of rules as far as labeling. But we are in this mess in no small part because rather than saying we want to have labels that are that meet certain uh, commerce uh, criteria when something is sold via interstate commerce, rather than having the commerce uh, department do that. No, we're going to create a whole new one, an illegal department called the Food and Drug Administration, and let it do the dirty work. See, one of the most common arguments people send me against the the uh, putting down the gossip is, well, if they don't do it, it, it somebody's got to do it. Yeah. The question is who, and the question is how, and the question is who decides the limitations of those powers. 
Now, before I jump to my next break, I, I want to hit this one because it, it, it drives me a bit nuts. I always hear people talk about how COVID did this. COVID destroyed the economy. COVID destroyed education. COVID locked us down. COVID did no such thing. Right? COVID's a virus. It made people sick. That was it. No, government tried to do this. And I say tried to because it only worked because the people were willingly to, willing to comply with it. So there's a new uh, 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 there's a new study coming out showing that, guess what? Masks don't work. They don't stop the spread of COVID. They don't stop the spread of influenza. Oh, joy. Guess what? I never followed a public mask mandate. Why? Because they're illegal. And I can prove it. And I want to do that right after this break. But as I said, I've got to take this break. Before I go, though, I want you to understand you know, the Constitution study is one of several voices heard on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a great place to go get all sorts of news and information about what's going on today. But I want you to become a participant. Don't just be a spectator. Join me as a participant. I don't mean make your own program. I mean, take the stories, the podcasts, the videos, the articles, take all of it and share it. Share it with friends, share it with family. That is how you can help us. That's how you can work to secure the blessings of liberty. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. Today, we're talking about constitutional gossip. And as I went into the break, I was telling you how I could prove that mass mandates are illegal and therefore void. So I, back, I think it was March of 2020, uh, I was I had a table at a book fair in a neighboring county. And I went over and I got set up and I had my table set up and it was outdoors. I had a little pop-up tent and all that. And the... Uh, the organizer came by and said, oh, Paul, that looks great. We're glad to have you here. By the way, just a couple days ago, the county passed a mass mandate. Now, we're on private property, so we should be okay, but we're right next to a public road, and we don't know what the police are going to do. And my response was, I don't care. The mass mandate's illegal. 
I'm not wearing a mask. I then produce for her a piece of paper because right because right now we're dealing with gossip. She says the the you know, oh by the way the county passed a mask mandate. I simply said it's illegal. It's null. It's void. All I've gotten so far is gossip. Let me give her proof. So I brought up this piece of paper that I developed for just as such a situation. I pointed out how it says the Constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the land. I would point out how a mass mandate would violate my rights under the 4th, 5th, 14th Amendments of, to the Constitution. The 4th Amendment because it's an unreasonable search. They have no probable cause that I'm a danger to anyone. 5th uh, and 14th Amendments say you, the state can't deprive me of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, which is exactly what a mass mandate does. It deprives me of the liberty to go about my life unmolested the property I have in controlling my own body, and they have no probable cause, again, that I'm a, a, no due process, no proof that I'm a danger to anyone. I then point out that how both Alexander Hamilton and the, the Marbury versus Madison case state that a law repugnant of the Constitution is void, an act of a legislature repugnant of the Constitution is void. It's void. This, this law is void. It's empty. It's meaningless. Then as the last piece, I pointed out how by infringing on my rights that I've already delineated them, by knowing, by telling them they would be doing so willfully, by doing so willfully, they were committing a federal crime, which means I need your badges, I need numbers, I need your names, because if you wish to proceed with this, my first calls to my lawyer, my second to the FBI, my third to the U.S. Attorney's Office, my fourth is to absolutely every media outlet I can find that will listen to me, where I will point out how the police of this particular city we're not only violently, we're not only, uh, I shouldn't say, but we're not only violating my rights. They did so in the face of proof that they were violating my rights. They were, and by such, committing a federal crime. And oh, by the way, if they even threatened to go for their sidearm or their taser, that would not be punished by a fine in one year in jail, but be punished by a fine in 10 years in jail. See what the difference is of evidence I see so many people get in the face of law enforcement and just provide gossip. You see the videos on, on the internet all the time. You know, somebody gets pulled over in, in, in a, a, a DUI stop or something, and they crack the window. And they say, no, I don't have to answer your questions. No, you can't detain me. No, you can't this. No, you can't that. But they never provide any proof or evidence. Re I should say never. Rarely do they provide any proof or evidence. This is how I used it. And I had prepared. I had put together this placard. By the way, if you want a copy, go to the website, constitutionstudy.com. Uh, search for the word placard, P-L-A-C-A-R-D. Uh, you'll find an article where I actually have a PDF of the placard, and you are welcome to download it and use it however you want. Download it, print it. It's a single piece of, of letter-sized paper. Laminate it. I don't care. It's there for you to use. Let's take a look at something else from the news um, that a lot of it is based on gossip. See, Biden is planning on changing the definition of waters of the United States, a rule issued by the, the EPA. By the way, he's modifying one that Trump changed back in 2020. And of course, now there are members of the House that are having hearings because they want to challenge this move. You realize it's all based in nonsense. Congress never had the authority to give rulemaking, lawmaking powers to the executive branch. Look at the powers delegated to Congress. Do you see anywhere where they say they can delegate their lawmaking power to another branch? No. 
Article 1, Section 1, Clause 1, all legislative, all lawmaking power is vested in a Congress of the United States. So the part of the Clean Water Act that said, federal agencies, you do the work first, you make up the rest of the laws and rules, are illegal. They don't legally exist. So we're having this whole debate in Congress and this whole brouhaha over a rule that is illegal and the state should simply ignore. I mean, just it's void. Remember, I keep going back to these quotes from the Supreme Court. Right? Uh, an unconstitutional law is void, and it is no law at all. An offense created by it is not a crime. A conviction under it is not merely erroneous, but is illegal and void and cannot be used as a legal cause of imprisonment. That is ex parte Siebold. And from Norton v. Uh, Shelby County, an unconstitutional act is not law. It confers no rights. It imposes no duties. It affords no protection. It creates no office. It is, in legal contemplations, as inoperative as though it had never been passed. How much of our lives are driven by this legal fiction, by this gossip, that just because Congress did something, it actually exists? Here's another one. See, the White House apparently wants to get into the uh, state battles over uh, abortion laws. See, the Biden administration apparently wants to make abortion access all over the country, and they want to use this as a political rally cry for next year's election. Here's a problem. You have a federal agent, in this case the President of the United States, violating their oath of office. You have them infringing, imposing on the rights of the states. The president has no legal authority to impose his desires on the states. So when he leans on local lawmakers to get them to back an expansion of abortion rights, um, he is committing extortion. He's putting pressure on them to do what he wants. By the way, the local lawmakers that submit to that are receiving a bribe. Oh, you're going to give us something. Usually they're getting received, right? Or you're going to give us something for supporting your agenda. All because, well, the, the president can do it. No, the, the DNC could do it. The Democratic National Committee could do it. But not the president, not in his office as president. This is an abuse of his power. And every governor should look, should, should contact President Biden and say, you send one of your operatives into this state to uh, manipulate our our laws, and they will be arrested for obstruction of justice or some other. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Maybe there's a better there's a better law. But what happens when someone comes in and attempts to intimidate, to apply pressure that has no legal standing to legislators? There's got to be. I'm sure there's a state law against that. How about we start charging the president and his administration and those in his administration? with violating those laws. But Paul, he's the president. He cannot be charged with a crime while he's in office. Baloney! Look at the Constitution. The only people regarded any protection from arrest or prosecution while in office are the members of Congress while they're on the floor or while they're traveling to or from their respected uh, uh, legislative houses. And even that is limited to things that can be a change for things like a treason, bribery, and breach of the peace, I believe. So you can arrest the president 
The fact that the FBI and the Department of Justice can't figure that out is a whole other issue. But this stems from another piece of gossip that, again, the federal government is supreme over the states. No. No, 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 no. Federal laws made pursuant to the Constitution is supreme over state law and state constitution, but that doesn't mean everything the federal government does is supreme. So when I see 30 New Jersey mayors begging Congress to uh, pause their offshore wind activity, you do realize that Congress has no authority over the waters off the coast of a state. That isn't suddenly federal land. Congress only has legal authority over very specific places. Uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8, uh, 9, I'm sorry, uh, 17. To execute exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 miles square, as may by cessation of the particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States, i.e. D.C., and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. See, unless the state sold the water rights, their shoreline and their water rights, to the federal government of their own consent, that is not federal land. Congress has no federal jurisdiction over it, period. Those New Jersey mayors should not be going to Congress going, please stop the offshore things because we are worried it's going to hurt the whales. They should be going to their state legislature and saying, hey, enforce your sovereignty. Recognize that when the federal government, either through Congress or through the executive branch, decided to control your what your rights of your offshore land, they stole it from you. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. They stole it. They didn't have legal authority to it. They stole it. New Jersey being one of the original 13 states, they own that water rights. You have usurpers. You have squatters. They have no legal authority to issue permits or to deny permits. They have none. But this, this legal fiction based on the gossip that, well, you know, the, the federal government, who else is going to do it? How about the states do it? Which brings me to the only way we fix a lot of these problems I've been talking about in the last two segments. Some states are starting to realize, you know what? Federal government's a mess. Federal government's going way beyond their legitimate powers. And it's about time we start standing up. Some of them are pushing back on things like uh, uh, gun laws. Some are pushing back on, on marijuana use. Some of them are even use, pushing back on uh, uh, things like voting rights. Tennessee has legislation currently being looked at that actually would allow them to nullify federal actions, federal laws, executive orders, even judicial opinions that violate the Constitution. Now, there's a lot to this. I'm going to get into more details about it in a future episode. But the point is, this is a state saying, wait a second, the Constitution doesn't authorize the federal government to do that. Our state Constitution says we have a responsibility to protect our citizens from an overreaching federal government. Therefore, we're going to put a system in place, not to arbitrarily, not to willy-nilly, but to legitimately nullify federal, unconstitutional federal actions within the state. And by the way, what I've read so what I've read so far is really good. Now, the uh, the article should come out. I believe it's going to be March thirteenth of this year. So it's March thirteenth, twenty twenty three. 
You can find it at constitutionstudy.com. I, I go into, I'm going to go into diesel. I will talk about it. Once I finish the article, I'll talk about it here on the radio. But it's recognizing the power, not the rumor about state sovereignty, not the rumors about states' rights, but actual documented proof that states have the authority to go tell the federal government to pound sand. Now, just as the courts cannot nullify federal law nationwide, the states can't, a, a state cannot nullify a federal action nationwide, but they can nullify it within their state. This sets up a real battle royale. If this legislation goes forward, there are going to be lawsuits everywhere because those in the federal government don't want to lose their fake power. They want to promote the gossip that says we can do whatever we want and the states have to bend the knee. I'm working with, I'm trying to work with some of the legislatures, legislators here in Tennessee to make sure they have the, the, the wherewithal, the foundation to stand up and say, no, you don't. And we can prove it. And even if a court says, no, you don't, a federal court says, no, you don't, doesn't matter because the courts don't rule over the Constitution. The Constitution rules over the courts. Now, to a lot of people, this sounds like, like heresy. This sounds like, like anarchy. It sounds like it's, it's very dangerous. It's the truth. It's the proof behind it. I'm not trying to blow sunshine up your skirt. I'm trying to give you the proof of what I'm saying. To why I'm hope you know, read the article when it comes out. It again, it, it this is a good piece of legislation, and it's going to be really fun to to dive into it with you. But I want you to do it not because I said so. I want you to do it because I've given you proof that you have verified, that you've listened to what I've had to say, and you've gone back to the documents to see if it is true. You've gone back to the Constitution. You've gone back to the the court cases I've referred to. And you said, wow, this is true. But the question then becomes, once I've proven it's true, what are you going to do about it? See, when I came across this legislation, I've been promoting things like this for a while, but I came across this legislation, and the very first thing I did was contact my state senator and my state representative saying, what is your, what is your position on this? And by the way, I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to come in and work to push this forward. So now I'm asking the rest of the states, take a look. It is uh, Tennessee House Bill 726. You can find it at, uh, I think it's capital.tn.gov. Or you can wait till the article comes out and I'll have all the links then. But it'd be interesting if more and more of the states start saying, uh, federal government... We didn't authorize you to do this, so the answer is no. And if you don't like it, you can pound sand. Because we created a republic. A a land where uh, the power rests in the people. And we hire representatives to exercise our power in our name within the limitations that we have created. Isn't about time we start reinforcing that and reinforcing it firmly. What would happen if more and more of the states said, uh, yeah, Washington, we didn't authorize you to do that. The answer is no. Just think of all the things we complain about that would suddenly disappear. From the swarms of officers sent out to eat out our substance to the out-of-control budget uh, deficit and growing debt. Would 
eventually disappear once the states start recognizing that the concept of absolute federal supremacy is nothing but gossip. Now, hopefully you like this program. You'll come back and join me, because I'm here every weekday at 4 p.m. The Constitution Studies on America Allowed Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen to the podcast. The episodes usually come about a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You can hear them on the podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcast app. But I do ask you, subscribe to the show. Give me a rating. Give me a review. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well. Now you can find all the links there at the homepage at AmericaOutloud.com. But share them. This is not something you wish to hoard. This is something you wish to share. We want to spread from sea to shining sea. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, and everyday Americans, is how we share the blessings of liberty, not just for us and not just for our posterity, but for everyone here in this great country. <laughs>